and welcome to another edition of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, professor of kinesiology and men's golf coach at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I'm Chad Carlson, professor of kinesiology and director of general education at Hope College, Holland, Michigan. And of course, this is the official podcast of the Second Global Congress for Sport and Christianity, which is coming up less than 500 days from now. It's uh, creeping up on us, Chad. Uh, And you can find out more about this conference by going to the website where it's housed. Uh, It's currently found at calvin, C-A-L-V-I-N dot E-D-U slash events slash 2GCSC. We'd also love you to follow us on Twitter at Sport Theology is our hashtag. And so this is our sixth podcast. Uh, If you are at all interested, you can go back and listen to previous podcasts And as we walk through uh, the lead up to the Congress, what we're trying to do is provide some different perspectives on sport and Christianity and just talk about sport because we love it and talk about how our faith intersects because our faith matters to us. In fact, Chad, uh, let me ask you, uh, did you take in any sports this weekend? I did. uh, I've actually been watching a lot of World Cup soccer. Is that right? Okay, so tell me a little bit about what you've seen. Well, you know, the games have been on in the mornings, and yeah. this, this is unusual, first of all. I'm, I'm used to watching my sport at night, uh, you know, doing it sort of as, as I'm getting ready for bed. It's kind of tr- uh, difficult to find the times and then to be able to arrange your day to be able to, to watch these games, but they're they're fantastic. Fantastic. It's, it's so much fun to watch, you know, to see sort of passionate fan bases across the globe, really. And, um, you know, something, there's something that's, I guess, unusual about that, right? It's not the way we, we usually watch sport, um, just in that it's soccer. Well... Americans, come on now. We're not going to watch soccer, football, right? Much less someone that's not even not even our team. We didn't even qualify. Oh, well, how pathetic is that, really? I Isn't mean, it? a nation of this size, no chance in the world that yeah. to not qualify. And there's a lot of actually notable countries that have not made it in this year. That's that's true. Um, not just the U.S. We the Netherlands. One of the largest. Yeah, the Netherlands, correct. Uh, Italy. Yeah. The yeah. other one. It's a couple of powerhouses. So... The first rounds, or the first set of rounds, the grouping, um, provides us an opportunity to kind of get a feel for each of the teams. Do you have a feel at this point? Do you have a favorite? Well, you know, I, I was really surprised that Germany lost. I, I thought coming in, they might have as good a chance as anybody. Um, they lost. No, they're not out, obviously. They're, right. Still you play the, group, the group For stage. those that don't know, you play the round robin first uh, in, in a grouping of four. And you earn certain points for wins, ties, and losses, uh, or don't earn points. And then uh, the top two teams from each grouping move forward into the knockout round. And then that knockout round, there are 16 teams. And that's when I think a lot of people remember the most about uh, the World Cup. It's sort of that win or go home moment. Uh, So this sort of early round, the teams get a chance to sort of gel together. Not all these players play together all the time, so it's a good opportunity for them to gel. And... uh, in in uh, the World Cup round or in the knockout round, we'll see the drama grow because a lot of games will end up nil-nil and we'll have shootouts, of course. Of course. That's that's part of the drama of the game. So at my house, we've um, I, I have young kids and, and my wife is not a soccer fan. I am. And so we, um, we sort of all chose one team and we'll see whose team goes the farthest. And I tried to help my kids out a little bit and, and my wife and, and told them sort of who some of the best teams were. And so... They chose uh, Germany, Spain, and Argentina. Okay, three three favorites. Yeah, of course. I I had them choose a team for me, 
<laughs> oh, how how'd you do? Well, I have Tunisia. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, you know they they actually had a pretty strong showing in the first game, but but definitely not a a favorite. I'm going to be pulling for Tunisia now. That's great. Well, we'll see if Tunisia can get a, a victory and make their way into the knockout round. And, and who knows? That could be a big upset. It could be. You know, one of the things that's really fun about watching the World Cup is that um, there's certainly a lot of nations that we would consider to be historically Christian nations, but there's also a number of teams that are coming from historically Muslim countries. Yeah, and and the World Cup itself, run by the organization FIFA, is kind of a contradiction at the same time. We are so tempted to watch these games, and yet at the same time, FIFA has been uh, such a, I would say, celebrated, celebrated corrupt uh, <laughs> an organization. Term. I know. Yeah. I mean, it, if anybody wants to go to an organization that's corrupt, it's just automatic that we, we mention we FIFA. FIFA. FIFA and the ILC, right? Those right, the both two. of them. And so it's, it's interesting that we end up, because of our passions, we end up supporting some things that uh, are really... Uh, questionable. Sure. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we think about how Christians interact with sport. How about the uh, U.S. Open? Golf. Come on now. Any? any? Yeah. No. Oh, wow. You're hurting me. I know. Sorry Come about that. Well, tell, tell us about yourself watching. How, how was it? Well, this was an unusual year in that uh, it was at Shinnecock Hills and the USGA had a very famous moment um, about 14, 15 years ago at Shinnecock Hills where it was thought that they had uh, lost control of the course, and there were uh, a lot of complaints from players. I don't know what that means. Uh, okay, this goes back a little ways, but, but I'll do this very briefly. <laughs> uh, the USGA uh, controls how the course is set up, so where the pins go, where the tee, tee boxes are, but they also control the speed of the greens, and that's really what uh, makes or breaks a lot of um, golf tournaments. And so what the USGA wants is this to be the toughest test in golf for the year. And so to do that, they really push the greens to a place where uh, weather can really affect them in such a way that they become almost unplayable. And so if you're holding them at a, at a place where it's just uh, it's, it's possible on just a calm day to have uh, st- stint meter readings up above 11, 12, 13, uh, which is a speed uh, rating. Sure. When you're in that place and then you get bad weather, you get weather that's either uh, extremely dry or a lot of wind, um, those greens can kind of burn out. And in a couple of cases on a couple of greens on Saturday, they did burn out and they got a lot of criticism from the players. Uh, I kind of look at that and I think, come on, everybody plays it. Uh, I actually like that the USGA makes this the toughest test in golf, but at the same time, you don't want to turn it into a carnival. You know, sometimes you go to a putt-putt course, and you know the 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 hole will be on a little mound, and it's almost impossible yeah. to be able to putt it in. And in the middle of an alligator's mouth. Oh, yeah. exactly. I yeah. like yeah, hit it in the clown's mouth between the you know the blades of the windmill. <laughs> you can do that. Uh, and so I do like that it's a great test, uh, but just showing the frustration on Sunday the next day, uh, Phil Mickelson had quite a moment. Uh, obviously, Phil is, is very well known, and he is uh, one of the ambassadors of golf. And he did something that you and I have done at different times. He got so frustrated, he putted toward the hole, and uh, while his ball was rolling past the hole, running potentially off the green, he ran after it. And hit it again. Now I I coach little stopped? kids. Uh, yeah, you oh you haven't gosh. heard this? No. 
Oh, it was. It's quite a scene. I, I actually think it's going to affect Phil's reputation going forward because huh. it's just such a non-golf move. Uh, everybody's yeah. been frustrated in this moment, but for him to get so frustrated that he ran forward and played the ball while it's moving back toward the <laughs> hole. I coach a bunch of kids. I'm actually headed there today where I'll be coaching uh, little kids, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds uh, at a golf camp, and they do that sort of stuff. They run after it and want to hit it again while it's still moving. Well, Phil's had his moment now. Phil did that. So I can't, good for him. I can't believe it. My, uh, my, my six-year-old sh- knows that, that rule. Is that right? you got to yeah. wait for it to stop. you got to wait for it to stop. Yeah. It's the one thing he knows. Well, he incurred a two-stroke penalty. A lot of people thought he ought to be disqualified Mm. just for poor etiquette, but in the end, he did not. And we've got a little sidetracked here with golf. Thanks. That's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) You're welcome. No, that's great. So today, what we thought we would want to talk about or what we want to uh, try to unpack are various perspectives on how sport and Christianity intersect. And we've gotten a little feedback about, about the podcast. And so one of the suggestions was, could you lay out for us some of the different approaches that uh, various entities or people have towards sport from a Christian perspective? And that's a huge topic, one that we're, we would be unable to tackle in a single day. But we were thinking about trying to get started on that by having some sort of overview, maybe maybe a common theological reflection on sport and some of the practical initiatives that occur within churches or within uh, institutions, like you and I both uh, teach at institutions that are affiliated with the church, and Mm -hmm. so we have perspectives on sport and Christianity, and then also parachurch organizations that try to address sport in a number of different ways. And so for us, what we're trying to do is maybe come up with different points on a landscape, different dots that give us a, a, a way to categorize different perspectives in sport. At this Congress uh, in the fall of 2019, there will be a number of people that come with uh, different perspectives. And yet what holds us all together is that understanding that at the center of our lives is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit he left with us. And so to, to be in a room with a lot of people who love Jesus and a lot of people who love sport, that provides for us an opportunity to sort of unpack how do we interact with these two things. We talked about the World Cup uh, providing for us a bit of a conscious conundrum where we end up supporting maybe a corrupt organization because of our love for sport yeah. and how do we handle things like that. Sure. So what I'm hoping to be able to do is just, and Chad doesn't know this, but I'm going to throw a few uh, a few positions out at him, a few statements, mm. a few assertions, okay. and what he's going to do is try to respond to them, fix them, maybe turn them around. I mean, sports, the, uh, Chad is the real philosopher here in this group, uh-huh. so uh, <laughs> at least I'm putting him on the spot today. Uh-huh. So, uh, I promise to tell the truth. I, I'm going to ask him to try to come up with a modern-day example for maybe some of these things, uh, something that exemplifies the statement, and I'll try to help with that as well. Uh, Maybe state how the perspective, maybe something positive. How do we get something uh, good uh, or a new level of understanding through this perspective? And then maybe what are the concerns? If we come at sport from this particular perspective, how could this ultimately be a negative? And so I'm going to make a short list here, and we'll go through not all of them. But we're gonna, I'm going to have uh, Chad get an opportunity to respond, 
and then we'll maybe do one or two today. And then in future podcasts, uh, we would love to hear some feedback from you about different uh, aspects of sport and Christianity that you'd like to, us to address. Now, you can contact either of us by email, the old-fashioned way email. <laughs> uh, and, and in my case, it's brb8, the, the number 8, at calvin, C-A-L-V-I-N, dot E-D-U. And Chad? C, my first initial C, Carlson, at hope, dot E-D-U. Great. So here we go. I'm going to uh, just list a few of these, and then Chad's going to pick one, and he's going to show yeah. us how smart he is. This will be. Ah. This is going to be fantastic. Fantastic. So number one, sport is Christianity's good teammate, and vice versa. So just that line, sport is Christianity's good teammate, and vice versa. Here's another one. Sport is the shiny object that attracts people to Christianity, ultimately pointing to them them to what's really important, the gospel. Here's another. Sport is sometimes good, but mostly an unhelpful invader or distraction to Christianity. How about this one? Sport provides the evidence of Christianity's relevance in culture. Or sport is a means to God and the transcendent. Sport is a human action meant for delight. Just a couple more. Sport is the developer of Christian virtue. Or the opposite, sport is the developer of vice and the enemy of Christian ideals. And just one more for now, sport is the social practice that brings the Christian principles of unity and peace. So that's just, I was just sitting down and I was scribbling these things out. And these are all perspectives that I've heard before. These are all um, I think approaches to, Christi- to uh, sport and Christianity that I could provide some examples of where I've seen it. And so maybe just one or two of those, Chad. Let's yeah. just uh, let's see where we go with this. Well, this is, this is a great list. And um, at the inaugural Global Congress on Sport and Christianity, there was a lot of discussion about some of these topics. Um, they're great topics, and um, I'd love to be able to tackle each one of those. But l- let me start with the first one. So sport is Christianity's good teammate – and vice versa. I get the idea, Brian, that you're you're asking me uh, to to respond about sport being Christianity's good teammate, and then Christianity being sports' good teammate. You have it. That's okay. exactly right. All right. I didn't know if there was a value uh, difference there in the vice versa with good or or bad, but we'll just we'll take those two. And it, it seems to me that sport and Christianity, at least, um, at least the what you and I might be familiar with. Um, have fit together compatibly, at least culturally, where we have uh, these two sort of cultural entities that that work together, that that promote the same thing. You know, you and I both teach at Christian institutions that both heavily promote their their own sports teams, and it seems like there are a lot of Christian organizations that will use sport as a teammate. And I'm thinking about. Christian schools, like what we work at, mm-hmm. um, that will use sport to to promote its own interests, that will um, use sport to to promote spiritual growth. That we talk about, you know, for instance, the discipline in sports at a Christian school. If you have a Christian coach, we're okay then with that leadership. And sport promotes spiritual growth because it promotes growth in who we are as people. And so, when when you think about th- those examples. You have something like Calvin and Hope, where we both participate, uh, and we've coached, and 
Uh, we are applying sport in some particular way, but we also have places like Notre Dame and Baylor. Would they be the same as us, or would you put them in a different category? Well, I would say uh, they are you know, potentially promoting sport at a higher level. They're certainly sinking more resources into into sport, and it's it's a national scale. And there have been schools certainly that have. I'm thinking of, for instance, uh, 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 Liberty University, who has uh, had a real interest in sort of um, using sport to promote what they do. And and it's not to say that Baylor or Hope or Calvin are not doing the same thing. It's just probably a matter of scale. And um, it's so you keep using the phrase. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, sorry. You keep using the phrase using sport. Yeah. So. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, I don't mean for it to sound as negative as potentially it does, not uh, using in sort of a utilitarian sense. But I think that may be, a, you know, sort of what's going on, that we we have these these ways that we recruit new members. We have these ways that we become visible publicly. And for institutions of higher learning, at least in the United States, sport is the best vehicle for that. And so this connection between sport and education in the United States is is so symbiotic that uh, oftentimes universities, whether they're Christian or not, will try to sink a lot of money into their sports in an effort to promote their school, their name, their reputation. So as a counter-argument to maybe following this, wouldn't we see potentially Christian organizations going in the other direction? Isn't there a possibility that someone like a Baylor or Notre Dame or Calvin or Hope might not use sport for that purpose. In fact, maybe not even participate in intercollegiate sport just to be different, just to not follow the tide of culture. Yeah. There are certainly some Christian schools in the United States who have decided against having American football, for instance, Calvin, Mm -hmm. that may be seen as countercultural or uh, nonconformist in some sense and therefore trying to develop a reputation in that way. And it seems to me that when Christian institutions take on sport as a way to promote who they are, uh, they're grabbing onto some low-hanging fruit. It's pretty easy. People follow sport. People love sport. That's a way of developing a national reputation. And so that's just a matter of finding something that's attractive to potential students, to people that might choose the university, to add to the profile that potentially sport has been called sort of the front porch Right. Mm-hmm. So when you think mm-hmm. about Duke University, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Sure. Well, basketball. That's the first thing that comes to my mind, no matter what you say. <laughs> no matter what? Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Harvard? Yeah. But Duke especially. Yeah, Harvard. Tommy Amaker. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I guess basketball <laughs> comes to... Well, wait a minute. You're a little biased here on basketball. I am. Yes. I am. Let me give you another example. Okay. We think about um, ministry organizations that are built around sport. We think about FCA uh, Fellowship, Fellowship of Christian, Christian Athletes. athletes. We think mm-hmm. about athletes in action. Right. We think about uh, smaller entities that maybe are, are international in scope to begin with doing ministry and now taking on a sports arm of that. I'm thinking of SIM that has sports friends as a particular ministry. Right. And so we, we, we do that. We use that in order to be able to recruit new members, in order to be able to reach out to new people that are potentially not Christians or not churched in some way. We use sport because it it's a way of breaking down barriers socially quicker than, than other ways might, than other methods might. It's easy to reach kids, for instance, by hosting a sports camp. It's easy to reach adults, for instance, by hosting a sporting event 
and then preaching at halftime or preaching afterwards. So the fact that it's low-hanging fruit maybe describes why we use sport on some level. But then I wonder why sport is not, uh, why sport is so attractive, but also are there other things in culture that could be better used? And are there things uh, about sport that convolute the message? Yeah, and, and I think if, if you flip around that relationship a little bit, so instead of talking about sport as Christianity's teammate, if we talk about Christianity as sports teammate, there's certainly some elements there that I think are helpful for athletes or for people that are in sport first and foremost. So I'm thinking about, um, you know, especially at high levels, the amount of uncertainty and um, that athletes have to deal with, that coaches have to deal with, you know, what better way to cope with the uncertainty of high-level sport, especially the pressures, than to refer to a higher entity, a higher being, to believe that there's something out there that is that is in control even when you don't feel in control. So this is something that sport chaplains, I think, deal with quite a bit, that you have these high-level athletes with a lot at stake, and there's a lot of uncertainty. So and a lot seemed, of that, a lot of what's at stake is not necessarily involved in the drama of the moment. Some of that is, but it has to right. do sometimes, especially uh, for high-level athletes, with a, a means of making a living. Right. And so, in some ways, what is a playful activity for most of your life turns into a vocational activity. Sure. Right. You move from more of a theology of play to a theology of work. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's it's much like you and I in our work or others in whatever profession they're in. There's a certain level of anxiety mm-hmm. that comes with that. And for a Christian, in any moment of anxiety, we turn to Christian disciplines such as prayer. Prayer, Bible reading, listening to a message from uh, a, a person of God. That's exactly it. There's a lot more at stake at high-level sport. So that's a whole other question about praying for success in sport or praying for my success in sport, which, you know, I think we'll address at another time. Oh, absolutely. But in this case, I think what you're you're trying to get at here is these sport organizations just see how sport is so incredibly attractive to a large group of people that it's almost as if they just can't turn away when it comes to uh, using it, as you've said, to try to attract people to the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also seems a little bit uh, maybe like false advertising. Yeah. And it probably is in some sense. And again, I'm not, I'm not super comfortable with the, the phrase using sport or, right. or using Christianity. That sounds a little bit disingenuous to me. Um, and yet it seems like there are some ways in which we do that sometimes that isn't real, that isn't the best thing that we could do. And I think sometimes people point to um, to Paul saying, use any means possible to reach even some people. Use whatever it takes in some sense. And so uh, using sport, maybe that's okay as long as we realize that sport is the means or sport is the tool to reach the gospel, to reach Jesus Christ. And yet some of the overlaps do feel just on their face kind of uncomfortable. And so when I see scripture verses uh, over a sports stadium in a Christian institution, and I'm pretty sure, even as only a lay theologian, right, just as Mm -hmm. a person who tinkers around the edges, 
that that particular verse had nothing to do with sport. And because it has the word strength or prize or victory or compete, somehow it endorses the activity of that particular stadium. So I'll see, often see a strength and conditioning room, uh, a gym, a fitness center uh, in a Christian institution have something like, uh, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Right. And so because it has the word strength in there, we think, okay, what a perfect application. Mm-hmm. And yet if you go back to the context of that verse, it has to do with uh, being in plenty or in want and being able to live in that contentment. And has very little to do with uh, developing your body to be able to play sport. And yet that connection seems really comfortable to us, really familiar to us, and somehow it makes us feel better about what we do in sport. Yeah, I agree. It's meant to be uh, sort of restorative strength as opposed to enhancing strength. Something a little different. A little bit different. And I think this is another way that 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 those in sport use Christianity or see Christianity as a good teammate, that when we have Bible verses written above the weight room or above the locker room door, um, we're using Christianity in some sense to to reinforce good conduct or good behavior or reasons for motivation. And so uh, it feels better, it feels more clean to have Christianity as your motivation or, or, or Christian morals and principles as guiding one's life. Uh, that potentially gives a, a greater pull or call to athletes to to act well, to act act better, to follow in what they should be doing training, or to follow right conduct and not get into trouble. Yeah, and yet when I look at it, I, I always kind of ironically think, well, maybe somebody will walk up and see this and be reminded of certain aspects of their faith and turn around and walk the other direction. Hmm. And because now I understand, oh, yeah, this might be a bit chasing after the wind, yeah. and I'll be, and I hear I, I'm applying scripture in another way. So there you go. And potentially unhelpful ways. And I think if we really tend to be reflective on this, there are some incompatibilities, and yet it seems that uh, there are certain maybe shallower elements of the connection between sport and Christianity that, that we use, that we hang on to. And so another one that I'm thinking of is ways in which um, Christianity can unify sports teams or crowds or groups of people. And I'm thinking about the ways in which um, praying together as a team before a contest has been, you know, one of, one of the most crucial, uh, probably um, well-practiced and yet illegal um, <laughs> methods of teamwork in the United States. Oh, so when sure. we have public schools, that is uh, uh, schools that are funded by the government, um, there cannot be faculty, staff, uh, coach-led prayer among public school teams, and yet among high school football teams around the country. This this seems to be something that just occurs naturally. Regularly. Regularly. The Lord's Prayer or whatever else um, happening in the locker room, we say amen, let's go pound the other team. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. And And it's interesting that it does seem to, and maybe it's because of the exposure, but it does seem that many of the circumstances that come up that... There are organizations out there that are they're sort of watchdogs for this sort of thing, and so it ends up in the news every once in a while. And it does very often seem to be football, right? Uh, American football that um, maybe attracts this sort of behavior. Right. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, because the head coach, or depending on the faith of the head coach, they feel sort of emboldened to take it in that particular direction. And, and many communities um, are fully supportive of such things until 
something blows up. Sure. And it seems as though these teams are using it uh, much more for the, the, the meditation of it, much more for the communal aspect of it, as opposed to whatever's actually being said, whether that's a creed that's followed by all the players is, is not an issue. The issue is we're getting everyone together quietly, holding hands, arms around each other, whatever else, in this super intense moment right before the game starts. That's unifying. And Christianity seems to be the vehicle there for sports unification. And I'm torn there because as a Christian, I'm thrilled that people are praying, of course. And at the same time, I can recognize very quickly the coercive element of this. If I don't participate in this particular prayer, if I don't hold hands, close my eyes, and join with a coach, it's very possible that something that I love a lot, uh, football, is going to be affected. Maybe the coach is going to think I'm not buying into the team concept. Maybe I'm a poor citizen of the team, and maybe he takes it out in some one way or another, and the sort of golden nugget of sport is playing time, the opportunity to get out there and play. <laughs> I was at a, a, I still remember this, as, at a basketball camp as a young kid, and we had a really prominent uh, uh, basketball figure come in and played in the NBA, had played in the NCAA tournament, uh, came in, and, and we thought he was going to talk about shooting, and he opened up by saying, you know what I did that got me the most playing time in high school? Let's hear it. He said, every time that my high school basketball coach told a joke, I laughed louder than anybody <laughs> else at that joke. And so then uh, when it came to playing time, the coach said, yeah, I like that kid. He always laughs, laughs at my jokes. I'm going to put him in. We all like people who laugh at our jokes. We do. That's the best part. We do. But it's a reminder of how important playing time is and how, how often uh, we do what the coach wants in order to try to get playing time. And, and so maybe there's a, a, a connection there that, that players will follow in the faith footsteps of, of a coach, which puts even more emphasis on having a good, strong Christian coach, uh, at, at least as, as a role model, right? And one who understands all the nuances. Well, that's the difficulty. That's the difficulty. Well, you know what? We've covered a lot of ground today. And uh, actually, I think we opened a lot more uh, cans of worms then we clo- then we sealed. Obviously, we're uh, excited about opening this conversation and excited about having it with each other and with you. So we thank you for listening to this podcast. Again, you can uh, follow the progress of this particular podcast on the website of this Global Congress, which is at calvin, C-A-L-V-I-N dot E-D-U slash events slash 2G-C-S-C. Thanks for listening again to uh, Dig Deep and... Pay attention to future episodes. Thanks very much, and we will uh, we'll close out here. 